Interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, Matt and I take a deep dive into a recent piece of correspondence from the CEO of Airbnb, Brian Chesky. In this correspondence, the CEO told employees that massive layoffs were coming, and he did so openly, honestly, with a lot of transparency, and as Matt and I said, gave a lot of dignity to employees who are going to be laid off. What can you learn from this? Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly. Uh, A little bit more somber today as we take up some of the events that happened over the past week, uh, this weekend, and are continuing in our country today. Uh, That, of course, is around the uh, death in Minneapolis and the riots that have occurred uh, in the past several days. But what we want to focus on is some of the leadership issues we have seen, both good and bad. So, Matt, with that introduction, uh, first of all, welcome. Uh, hello, Tom. Uh, it's a grim subject that we have to discuss. You would think that as a country, we'd have better things that we could talk about, but apparently not. If this is where the country is, then that's what we have to discuss. So, Matt, both you and I have been thinking about uh, a lot of the leadership issues and leadership we have seen, uh, both good and bad, uh, from various leaders across the country. Uh, for the listeners interested, we are probably not going to go into the lack of leadership of Donald Trump, um, but we're going to talk about some of the leaders closer to the ground, on the ground, and what they are doing. So, uh, what sort of caught your eye to get this started, Matt? Well, I had. Uh two examples from the weekend that stuck out in my mind, one good, one bad. And I'll start with the good. Uh, That was happening on Saturday afternoon in Flint, Michigan, where the sheriff for that part of the state, which I believe is Genesee or Genesee County, uh, Michigan, the sheriff there, Chris Watson, uh, he was in the police station as protesters in Flint were marching toward the police station. And there are plenty of news clips out there now, and some of you may have seen this already, that as the protesters were approaching the police station where police were ready in riot gear, and I think we all know where that could have gone if it had gone poorly, um, instead of that, uh, Sheriff Swanson stepped out, took off all of his protective gear, and went over to the protesters, talked with them, and ultimately wound up deciding that he was going to march with them, which there's some very nice video there of Sheriff Swanson really de-escalating and defusing the situation. So they, to the best of my knowledge, they did not have any of the violence in Flint, Michigan, that we've saw in certainly in Boston, where I am, and in all over the rest of the country. Um, I know also that there have been other examples of police officers doing similar things, either taking knees or going over to the protesters and talking with them or marching with them. Um, But it struck me the leadership angle here of trying to close the distance to your adversary, for lack of a better word. I don't want to say close the distance with your enemy because these protesters were not enemies. They are citizens. They're allowed to do this. But close the distance with those people who are coming 
at you with some sort of attention and trying to defuse that tension and to de-escalate. And the way you can do that is to show empathy for the aggrieved suffering group. Um, that is a leader's job. And if you don't want to be a leader, you don't have to be a leader, but Sheriff Swanson was, and he knew what good leadership looked like. So he went over and he tried to empathize with these people. He did it very successfully. He de-escalated everything. And so he achieved his objective, which is just public safety. Um, so that was the good example that I saw was just thinking about empathy for your stakeholder audience, because police chiefs and sheriffs have stakeholder groups too, and look at the favorable result. It was very good. So I'll, I'll stop there for now. I have a bad lesson as well, but that was a good thing that stood out to my mind. So, Matt, I have a, uh, I think, a pretty good one. And then I have uh, one that uh, led me to, to think about a lot of other issues, actually, from the compliance angle. But let me start with a good one. And that's uh, Houston Police Chief Art Acevedo. And he was speaking at a church service that was uh, not a virtual church service, but it was a, uh, a drive-in church service where people were in their cars, and he was with the mayor of Houston and uh, our one of our representatives, Sheila Jackson-Lee. And as he was delivering his remarks uh, with a protective mask on, he became incredibly emotional. And I'm just going to quote what he said. Um, he tore off his mask, and he said that uh, – talking about the police response to civil unrest. We don't fear speaking the truth because we're doing God's work. We don't want to fear speaking the truth but truth because we're covered by the Holy Spirit. We don't fear walking up to people who are angry because we want to join them in their a- anger. Now, um, it's probably a little more Christian than I would have said it, but he then uh, followed it up by saying he would lead a citywide march in protest of the uh, killing of George Floyd himself. And once again, this is the chief of police of Houston. And he, uh, you you really hit it on the head. He, he spoke to multiple stakeholders. He spoke to those across from him, not his enemies, but those uh, across from him. He also spoke to those who might want to come to Houston uh, and engage in rioting uh, because he, he did say that we will stand up for our city and we will police our city as it should be. And we're not going to let the memory of George Floyd be hijacked uh, by anarchists. I should also note George Floyd is actually from Houston and arrangements are being made for his funeral service in Houston. Uh, they're trying to figure out how to get his body here and how to have that service without attracting all of those people. Nevertheless, um, uh, the, the remarks of uh, Chief Acevedo really went a long way towards helping plant that. Uh, I am with multiple stakeholders. I'm with those who are uh, law and orders types. I'm with those who are grieving and who are protesting because Chief Acevedo has also been very strong in his condemnation of the killing of George, George Floyd, Floyd and the uh, actions of the Minneapolis police, but he's also speaking to, I think, that key uh, requirement of a leader, Matt, and you might, he, he is very open about his Christian faith, so this is not new or something uh, insincere, but he's calling upon those roots in a way that, uh, frankly, I've not seen done in the public space, certainly not from a police chief, although perhaps in the South that's going on more than I know, um, 
But uh, uh, once again, we had someone literally reaching out and saying, I will be a part of your protest because not only do I grieve, but I am in anger as well. And I will uh, uh, express that anger in a peaceful march. You know, I just I want to pick up on something there where you said, um, you know, I feel your pain and I will be there participating here with you. The other thing that stood out to me is I was thinking about leadership and empathy regarding this particular weekend, Tom, is like you and I just talked about this last week about Airbnb and that CEO announcing mass layoffs at his company, which is going to be a very difficult thing for the employees who are losing their jobs, 1,900 people. But that CEO, Brian Chesky, he was praised for what? Empathy. When he wrote a very heartfelt, very explicit and precise and clear and respectful letter about why this had to be done, what was going to happen to these employees, how Airbnb will try and help them. And, you know, I'll stop there. You can listen to last week's podcast if you want to, listeners. But, I mean, it's the same basic principle that a leader must be able to convince the stakeholder audiences that they are trying to understand how they feel. They are aware of their fears, their anxieties, their um, anger, and are you're trying to address it. You're trying to recognize what it is and then work within it and channel all of that energy to some larger objective, such as ending institutional racism, trying to make employees whole, even when they're losing their jobs or anything like that, you know, whatever the objective is, except I can say the objective should not be fighting with the other guys and seeing who can clobber each other over the head, the worst to be dominant, which is just a terrible, terrible approach to leadership. And that's not what uh, your police chief has done. That is not what uh, Sheriff Swanson did in Flint, Michigan. It's not what many other astute, far-thinking wise police leaders have done all over this country. Uh, there's many instances of this now, and I'm glad that uh, Sheriff Swanson was one of the first to get documented, but there's plenty more that we're seeing. But that's that's what good leadership looks like. That's what keeps an organization together. So you had an example that went in the other direction. You want to share that? Yeah, I did. Uh, this is a bummer because I read it and I was like, how could somebody this high profile be this tone deaf, frankly. But this uh, person I'm talking about is Dermot Shea, who is the police commissioner for New York City. Um, when on uh, Sunday, May 31st, he sent out a series of six tweets um, specifically to the New York Police Department, where all he did in all of those tweets was thank them for their work and talk about how much they they had to undergo like the, exactly what did he say the unprecedented days and nights um, and he went on and on about how they comported themselves in the face of such persistent danger and I'm I'm of two minds about what Commissioner Shea had said there because clearly as a leader you do want to give credit to the many police who were trying just to not cause any more tension and inflame the situation more than it had been. And most police all across the country were not interested in picking a fight or starting a race war or any of this other nonsense. They just wanted to clobber a few idiot thugs who were trying to turn a legitimate grievance by black Americans and people concerned about their mistreatment, a few idiots who were taking that and turning it into some looting free for all. And those looters, sure, round them up and put them away. Most police had the correct 
procedure, correct perspective on that. But clearly, a fair number of them did not. And that is a fact. And any one of us can go, we can watch the video all day long of abuses that happened this weekend by police on protesters who were abused in an unprovoked manner in many occasions. Sometimes, I don't want to say that they got what was coming to them, but sometimes when you are violating the law and law is enforced against you, that is not a pleasant experience. But if you are protesting peacefully and you get shoved over by police, you get a pepper spray in the face, you get run over by a police cruiser, all of those things, there are videos that show that, that does not reflect well of the police. And what got to me about Commissioner Shea was that he was all about supporting one constituency and not acknowledging the other constituency he had, which were the public of New York, who were looking at all of the video and saying, dude, what planet do you live on? You're talking about how they had to un- endure persistent dangers and unprecedented difficult times, and they did a fabulous job. And you're not mentioning the video of the two police cruisers in Brooklyn that drove right into a whole bunch of protesters who were just standing there, or the video of a police lieutenant, I believe, uh, who kicked over a woman who was kneeling on the ground. I saw that video. Um, it was an officer in a white shirt, which means he is in a commanding officer position and he should have known better and he didn't. Um, so all of this would, Commissioner Shea went in the opposite direction where he was not thinking about how are, who are all of the stakeholders that are going to hear what I am saying and how can I make sure that all of them hear the right things? Um, Somebody once said to me, and this has always struck me, when you are a leader, you are not just responsible for the words that you say. You are responsible for the words that other people hear you say. And many times they're going to hear things that you did not necessarily intend, but that's the job of the leader is to think about it and to anticipate it. And Shay did not do this. He was it just he got an awful lot of flack on social media for this statement. Six tweets in a row, all of them 100 percent behind the police, all of them zero percent awareness of the abuses that did happen by the New York police against protesters that should not have happened. So it, uh, it's the antithesis of what we just talked about. There was no empathy. There was no awareness of the other stakeholders who are interacting with the police every day. So, Matt, now I'd like to take things in a little bit different direction because of a statement by the governor of Texas. And for those who don't know the governor of Texas, uh, Greg Abbott, uh, uh, right-wing Republican, uh, very conservative, uh, former trial judge, former uh, Texas Supreme Court judge, former attorney general of Texas, although the attorney general of Texas does not, he only has civil jurisdiction, not criminal jurisdiction. Nevertheless, he said that he attributed the uh, killing of Floyd to bad policing. And at first I had thought he was simply trying to deflect that this was uh, one or two bad apples in the Minneapolis Police Department. And it didn't have anything to do with institutional racism, either in Minneapolis or in the police department. But the more I thought about it, Matt, it really gave me pause to think about the compliance perspective from that. And if you accept at face value that it was bad policing, then how do you remedy that? If we take the three uh, prongs of what a compliance program is supposed to do, prevent, detect, and remediate, well, we're now in the remediation phase. 
And uh, how do you remediate? Do you do you? I would say you would have to start with culture, uh, assess the culture. Unfortunately, we have evidence of what that cultural assessment is right now. But then uh, move to change the culture. Does that mean you have to clean out uh, the the top because they've obviously not set the proper tone? And after you clean them out, who do you bring in? And how do you change, begin to change that culture? You begin to change that culture through training and education. Do you put in incentives? Do you assess the risks from doing so? Do you have ongoing communications in addition to training? Do you discipline officers who uh, refuse to in, uh, engage in culturally appropriate actions? Or do you uh, incentivize those uh, to drive that behavior? And of course, do you continue to monitor that? So um, I found it very interesting by focusing on policing as a process, it perhaps gives you an opportunity to think through a way that you might actually change that going forward. You know, it's interesting. And um, I mean, the short answer is, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to change the culture of policing because Tom, you and I were both old enough to remember the Rodney King verdict in 1992 and the uh, police culture that was in Los Angeles, and that was 30 years ago. Um, you know, how much has the LAPD really changed? I think it's changed somewhat. I suspect many black people living in the Los Angeles area would say it has not changed enough. Um, and is it going to be the case that, you know, two other compliance people are going to be talking about this in 30 more years when there's another scandal some other time? Um so I, I don't quite know. I do think that, you know, ultimately this is going to be a mix of a couple of different um, efforts. I would have no problem firing police officers who have documented histories of abuse. And it looks like we've got no shortage of documentation from this weekend. Um, I would think that some sort of oversight of the police where I live in Cambridge, we have a civilian police review board. How often does it exert real authority and discipline over police misconduct? Probably not that much. I will admit I'm not that familiar with it. We don't have, thankfully, a, a very extensive history of problems with the police in Cambridge, Massachusetts. I know that the police here invest a fair bit of time at least trying to think about racial sensitivity and racial awareness. Um, and I only know that because in 2009, uh, again, Tom, you might remember this. We had the incident where a white police officer in Cambridge arrested a black Harvard Law School professor, um, Henry Gates, who was allegedly trespassing, but was in fact breaking into his own home because he had lost his keys. And both of them wound up having a beer with President Obama very early in his presidency in 2009. And it was just at least Cambridge is trying to think about it. At least they do have some sort of oversight board that is not connected to the police department directly. Um, you could make analogies there to an independent board of directors overseeing management and how well they could change the culture. But I, I don't know. It's a multifaceted process. It is a long process. It is going to be a process that has no final triumph. You're never going to have a perfect corporate culture in any organization. Um and how much is good enough versus perfect to say that we've got this problem well in hand? I, I don't know what that is either. I, I know that we don't have it well enough in hand right now. Um, but, you know, this is going to be a long and pervasive problem in department after department all over the country trying to figure out how you change the culture. So on that cheery note, um, 
Any final thoughts, Matt? I mean, this is going to sound a bit cliche, but I would encourage people to think about, you know, really how much privilege you might have if you are white. I can think of at least two specific encounters I had with police where I accidentally took a right turn on red I should not have, and I accidentally ran a stop sign. Over the last, say, five or six years, that has happened to me, where I had some very irate police up in my face, and then they let me go. And I have no doubt that if I had been a black man, that would have been a very different different sort of altercation that I would have had with them. Um, And it makes me think about this, and I do try and keep that perspective. That sounds corny and cliche, and I don't want to trivialize what everybody else is going through. It shouldn't just be about, you know, how could this be different for me? But I just, I try and be aware of this, and I try and think about it a lot. Um, And I don't have what the answer is. I just, I know that it is going to be a a deep and difficult challenge, and we certainly have not solved it yet. Well, Matt, on that note, um, perhaps we should end this podcast, and uh, I will wait to see what next week brings us. All right, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week where we take up another topic, literally taking a deep dive to go into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you will stay safe out there and make wise decisions in this era of COVID-19. If you would give our podcast a shout out on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.